much of the evidence that's available on, on self-harm in, in the UK population is from uh, secondary care presentations. So this is mainly people who uh, present to hospital emergency departments. Um, so we decided to do a study using the UK Clinical Practice Research Data Link, which is a, a very large cohort of uh, primary care patients registered with a GP in the UK. Um, and the idea was to, to show, well, to, to, to try and understand about the uh, epidemiology of self-harm from a different perspective. So it's a perspective of the um, primary care registered patient. And, and the episodes that we have within that clinical record are a combination of um, episodes where the, the patient will have uh, presented to a, a hospital and then there's lots of other people who uh, won't have presented to a hospital and they'll disclose their self-harming behaviour to the GP. Um, and what this enabled us to do is look at um, the incidence of self-harm in that population, looked at trends over time, um, and, and uh, stratified that according to age, gender, deprivation, um, and also across the four nations of the UK, so England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. Um, but then the second phase of analysis, we, we, um, we looked at the clinical management of, of that self-harm cohort, and... Uh, so in, in, that relate, in that respect, we looked at um, medication prescribing, we looked at um, referral to secondary care services, um, and we looked at diagnoses, and um, two key findings emerged from that. Firstly, we found that about 10% of the cohort have been receiving um, tricyclic uh, antidepressants. Uh, so this is a type of antidepressant that's particularly toxic in overdose, and according to the 2011 NICE guidelines on self-harm, this is something that clinicians should not do if a person has already got a history of self-harm. Um, and it's actually... So in, in the 2011 self-harm guidelines uh, issued by NICE, uh, there's 57 recommendations, and three of them are flagged as do not do um, on the NICE guideline website, and, and one of the three that's flagged as do not do is don't prescribe tricyclic antidepressants to somebody who is self-harmed. So... What we found was even after the implementation of the NICE guideline in 2011, there was no discernible reduction in, in the proportion receiving a um, an antidepressant of this type. Um, so having presented these findings at numerous meetings where you know, GPs and other clinicians have, have been present, it's become apparent that lots of clinicians are unaware of this, this recommendation. Um, and there's also lots of arguments put that you know there's, there's clini good clinical reasons for for prescribing the drug, even though it's it's it's, it's a do not recommendation uh, according to NICE. So one of the things we've been working on uh, is trying to disseminate the, the the finding from our study, but also the the uh, giving people um, a heads up that this 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 recommendation exists. At, and then comparing that to what we found to try and uh, persuade people to um, alter their practice in that regard. And what does the clinical evidence say in terms of alternatives to tricyclics for people who self-harm? Um, well, I guess the, there's, there's an important issue there in terms of medication. So for lots of patients, the, you know, it's not safe to take people off their medications uh, and they need to remain uh, properly medicated. So... I guess the issue there is that GPs need to find alternative types of antidepressants. In fact, that's what the 2011 NICE guidelines say, is that they shouldn't use tricyclics, they should use some other alternative antidepressant.
I guess it's tricky in an individual case, isn't it? Because if you're stable and have been for a while on a tricyclic antidepressant and your GP suggests to you that there's this very good reason in terms of the evidence of the population that we, you come off it and try something else, you're probably going to be resistant to that. Well, that's right. But, but I guess you know that's the reason why these uh, national guidelines exist, so that there's... there's um a regulatory framework around what, what people should or shouldn't be doing and, and uh, you know the recommendation is absolutely explicit that it's a do not do recommendation so I guess even though in some instances it, it must be difficult for the GPs to envisage changing from one type of antidepressant to another um, that's what the, the recommendation is is there for and that's what the, the, the guidance is saying in, in really clear terms I think Give us some of the other headline messages from that work for, for other health professionals, for people living with self-harm, for policymakers. So a key thing for policymakers, we found evidence of the inverse care law. So this is Tudor Hart's universal law, really, that the greater the demand for healthcare services, the, the, the lower the um, demand in, in that population. So what, what we essentially found in relation to self-harm in, UK, in the UK primary care cohort is that... Um, the higher the level of deprivation in the population, the, the higher the incidence rate. But then when we look at the likely, likelihood of being referred to specialist mental health services, those patients who have self-harmed and who live in the most deprived localities have the lowest likelihood of being referred. Um, and vice versa, the, the patients who have self-harmed and who live in the most affluent areas have, have got the best chance of being referred to specialist services on the NHS. So there's a clear supply and demand a conflict there um, and that's something that you know policymakers ought to, to, to think about you know, in terms of how that can be resolved obviously there's no simple solution because um, it's a truism really that you, wherever you have high demand you, you, and, and high burden placed on services by high levels of incidence you're going to have um, few resources to, to refer people to because the demand placed on secondary care services is then so much greater. So what next for this area of research, for looking at self-harm in primary care? It seems like a very untapped, under-researched area. Um, well, moving beyond the policy research programme grant, I mean, we one of the things actually that it was very important because we did a lot of um, public and patient involvement um, work during the original PRP-funded grant and, and one of the things that they told us at a stakeholder meeting right at the end of the, the grant was that we, we were perhaps too focused on the adult population. So we'd, we looked across the adult age range from 16 through to age 64. And, and what the PPI partners wanted was, was for us to look at um, children and adolescents and also older people. So we basically re- replicated our original analyses in those two demographic groups. That's led to another couple of publications. So. And essentially we found similar fi- findings um, to what we saw in the adult population in those two demographic groups at either end of the, of this, the, the life cycle. Um, but what we did find, which I think is consistent with previous research, is that the people who self-harm at older age have a much higher suicide risk. So we looked at subsequent risk of dying and uh, the relative risk at older age was about 150 whereas in the adult population it was between 50 and 100 and, and then when we looked at the children and adolescents it's more like 20 so there's a huge variability in, in 
I think suicidal intent across the life cycle um, with older people having particularly high suicidal intent when, when they when they harm themselves so again I think that's a key key lesson there for uh, policymakers. <laughs>